Check, check, check. Yep. Thank you, Joel. Good morning, church. Please open up with me to Galatians chapter 1. So as Joel, if you were here last week, uh, Joel introduced us to the new series that we will be doing as a church uh, as we will be walking through the book of Galatians together. And so today, uh, last week, it was a really helpful kind of introduction to some of the big picture topics that we will be covering together as a church and why we think it's such a helpful book for us to go through. Um, And so today we begin, uh, we will be, Lord willing, covering verses 1 through 5. If I run out of time, we may just have to come back again another week, but that is the goal. And so my goal for this morning for you uh, is for you to consider and to think about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of man. It's not a gospel of man, but it comes from God because it comes from God and it is for God. The gospel is from God and for God. Okay, so what does that mean? We'll explore that together, but just to give you a little taste, because the gospel of Jesus does not originate with man, okay, so man did not make this up, it means that everything about it depends on God for its success. And so together we're going to see how our coming to Christ, the success of the gospel, even in our own hearts and in the life of our church, and the goal of the gospel ultimately are all found in God himself and not in any man. So the gospel is from God and for God, and that's what I want to see you this morning. Now, why is this important? Why, would, why is this going to matter to you? Uh, well, there are consequences of not understanding this. So if you fail to see how the gospel is all about God and not about man, you are going to make the Christian life too much either about yourself or about others, or probably both. If you don't grasp this, another consequence is that you're going to live in fear about what other people think, what they will think of you, what they will think of what you do, and you're going to fail to give glory to God as he deserves it. And so uh, that is my prayer, but let us go to God in prayer that he would be the one to help us because we depend on him even for this morning. So let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from your word, and we thank you for your care for us and giving us your word. Uh, thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul and what he teaches us and what you teach us through it. Uh, Father, these things are too big for us to comprehend, Lord, and we need spiritual eyes to understand them. And so I do pray that you be gracious to us to help us to see these things in our own lives, that you would help us to uh, walk, not in our own strength, not in our pride, Lord, but completely relying on you for everything. Would you help us to recognize how everything depends on you? And would we not put any confidence in the flesh, in any man, but that we would trust in you and your authority. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's read Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised them from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So the gospel of Jesus is a gospel from God, and so that has some implications, right? So the first implication, we're not really going to dwell into this too much, but because it comes from God, it has the power of God. 
But church, I just want you quickly to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ has power because it comes from God. It does not come from you. And so as a quick aside, whenever you go and you're living for God, you know that you need to share the gospel with your friends, with your family. You know that you need to give that timely word and you feel afraid because you think, I don't know if I'll be able to defend it. Remember, it is not up to you to defend it because it is not your gospel. It is God's gospel. It comes from God, and so it has the authority of God. And so you are only a messenger. You're seeking to proclaim what God has already declared to be true. So believe, church, that the gospel comes from God. Unlike any other religion in the world, it depends solely on God and not on man's works. Now what we'll see for our text is that one of the implications that the gospel comes from man is that God is the one who has authority to call his people. Because the gospel comes from man, it is through God, not through man, only God has authority to call his people to himself. And that is what Paul here is defending in verse 1. So he says, Paul, introduces himself, Paul, an apostle, an apostle, okay? The very first thing he gives them after his name, okay, they know him. It's not like Paul is a stranger to them. He, they know who he is, but then he gives them his title, an apostle. This is a, a title of authority. This isn't just any title, like he is claiming authority over them. And this authority is not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul starts out his letter to the Galatians by giving, them the, by giving himself the title of Apostle of Jesus. Now, this is not something that you can just claim on your own. Okay, you, you could not, you still cannot, just on your own say, I am an Apostle of Jesus. Like, I am like Paul, and I have the same authority because I say so. No, Paul, Paul himself didn't even have that authority to declare himself an apostle, right? When we say an apostle, what we mean is that there are very specific people called by Jesus himself to do the ministry that God had called them to do. And so not anybody could call themselves an apostle. They had to be called directly by God. And that is what Paul is saying, is that he was actually directly called by God. So you may be familiar, right, with the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles that we see, right, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, if you want to read more about it, Acts 1, chapter 1 is really helpful. We see the, you know, the 11. Obviously, we have Judas, who walked with Jesus, but then, you know, betrayed Jesus and was not counted among the 12. And so they had to, you know, get Matthias to come and count it among the 12 apostles. And so those are the ones. When you think apostles, you think they are the ones who walked with Jesus, whom Jesus personally called and said, you will follow me and you will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Those were the apostles. They were giving authority from Jesus. Now, Paul... Paul didn't walk with Jesus, right? He came later. And in fact, Paul didn't even walk according to the teaching of Jesus. He couldn't even claim that part. He walked opposed to the teaching of Jesus. And so what did Paul have? What did Paul have to claim as an authority? He couldn't point back to the time when he was walking with Jesus like Peter. He didn't have that. What he had is that he had an encounter with Jesus, a supernatural encounter, so we see that in Acts 9, Acts chapter 9, if you want to go look at it later, um, describes the way that Jesus actually stopped Paul on his tracks when he was about to persecute Christians and said, no, Paul, I am going to claim you as my own, and I am going to give you the task to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul, as he says in 1 Corinthians, as one that was untimely called, was called by God, radically transformed, and was giving a mission by God, with the authority of Jesus. It wasn't he that decided to do it. Again, think about where he was going. He had decided to go and persecute the people of God, of the way. 
And yet God changed him and told him to do it. So he wasn't just any authority. Paul didn't have just any authority of man. He was commissioned by God himself as an eyewitness to his resurrection. Now, as you look at Acts 13 and 14, you know, this is kind of Paul and his ministry to the Galatians. This didn't come without opposition. Okay? Paul constantly faced opposition from the Jewish people who wanted to oppose his message, that they were jealous of the fact that he was, you know, people were believing in the gospel, and so they were, they were therefore detaching themselves from Jewish traditions. And so what essentially Paul here is doing is he is comparing himself to those people because we know that he is writing to the Galatians because some are departing from the faith. Some people have come in and tried to poison their minds and say, hey, you don't need to follow Paul. You can depart from his teaching. He's not teaching you the ways of God. So Paul, what he's saying is, no, 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 I am an apostle. I am called not from man, but by God. He's saying, you, those men who are seeking to teach you wrong things, they're just called by men. If anything, probably they were just called by themselves on their own authority, teaching you. They don't have the authority that God has given to me. They're trying to lure you away, but this is not even something that God has called them to do. God, Paul is saying, I was chosen by God for this task to care for you, to bring you the good news, to protect you from error. And so what I want you to see is that Paul, actually just even in his introduction, and we'll see this more uh, Lord willing, verses 11 through 24, is that Paul actually has to fight for his authority. Paul has to fight for his authority in the hearts of the Galatian church. Now, is that weird to you? Is that weird to you that an authority figure actually has to fight for their authority? Right? Paul has to do this in order to protect them from error, but something about us just doesn't sit right up. Something about this doesn't sit right with us, right? We think an authority figure should just be kind and she shouldn't have to boast on his authority he should just you know do good works and we'll just follow him you know ultimately depends on us and not really on him but this is not a strange thing okay don't let this weird you out just as it is perfectly normal for a father to assert his authority when his son is seeking to go wayward that would be a good thing for his father to do because that is what god has called him to do it is proper for spiritual authorities to also fight for their place of authority in the place of the sheep that God has given them to care for. Now, if Paul had neglected to do this, okay, just think about this. If Paul had just neglected to call on his authority and tell the people of Galatia, hey, you need to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he had neglected this task, he would actually be, un he would actually be unfaithful to God because God gave him this responsibility to care for the people of the Galatian church. And so Paul is here to assert his authority because it is God who is giving him this task and because he wants to care for them. Okay? Paul isn't just flaunting this authority just to say that he has it. He is doing it in order to care and protect them because he loves them. So again, we'll explore this more when we get to uh, verses 11 to 24. But Paul is asserting his authority for their protection and for their good. And so for our, our passage here this morning, I want you to see that the gospel of Jesus, again, depends on God. And therefore, its authority comes from God. Paul has authority to speak to the church because God gave it to him. Now, those that continue today, those that continue today, well, and the answer is yes, right? We don't have apostles in the same way that Paul was. You know, you don't have anybody here in our church that has had a, a specific encounter with God as Paul did on our way to persecute Christians. But God continues to call men, to qualify men, and to call them to the ministry. So think about it. What gives somebody authority? What gives somebody spiritual authority over you? 
Have you ever thought about that question? What gives somebody authority, spiritual authority over you? What qualifies them to care for you and for your needs and to correct you in the ways of God? Because, right, after all, like, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of teaching that you can follow. And so what qualifies somebody to, like, actually have spiritual authority to care for you? We often answer this question wrongly because we want to focus so much on human standards, right? So we think, okay, what may qualify somebody to have authority over me? Well, sometimes we look at, well, this person has a lot of followers. Well, if they have a lot of followers, maybe they are trustworthy, and I should submit myself to them. Maybe you look at the number of books that they've written, and you say, those seem like good books. Those seem like somebody you know, trustworthy for me to trust and follow. Maybe you look at how many churches they planted. But really, most often for us, we give people a place of authority when they can convince us, right? When they convince us that what they're teaching is true. When they have convinced us on the point of truth, that's what, gives, that's what we think gives them authority over us to be able to teach us. But I want, what I want you to see is that all of this, all of these standards, all of these measures that you're looking and thinking about, all of it is thinking as man does. You're looking at what man does and man's standards and not God's standards. And so we fail to recognize that the gospel and its authority does not come from man and what man does. It is not about man. Let's just get that out of our heads. It comes from God. And so it's not what a man does that grants them the responsibility and authority to speak for God. This comes from God and from God alone. Paul recognizes it. His resume is worthless, right? He had so much he could boast about. And he says, all of that is rubbish. God called me. That's the only thing that matters. Okay? He doesn't appeal to the Galatian church and say, you know, you should listen to me because I've spent many hours with you, because I've uh, learned a lot, because I've been taught in the ways of God, because I've spent time with Peter. None of that matters to Paul. All that matters to Paul is the fact that God called them to this task. And that's what should matter to us, is that God has also called men to serve and to teach you and to give, you, give them special responsibility over you. And this is through the church, right? We see that the pattern in Scripture is that churches appoint elders and the authority vested into the church by God to be able to have elders care for you in a very spiritual and real way, in a way that people actually know you and care for you and can actually work and take care of your soul. Okay, so we, you have elders this morning, church. Remember, you have elders that you have a responsibility to. And I say this, I say that not because there's absolutely anything special about us. Okay, you should see our elders meetings. There's nothing special or admirable about any of us. That's the point, though. That's the point, is that it's about God. It's about God and what he's doing, what he does, and not about any man. It's not about how great a man, it's about how God great is. And so God has set up an authority over you to protect you. Okay, this is to protect you. Not because we're never going to mess up, not because any of the elders are never going to fail, but because God has set it up so that you can trust in him and not in man. God has given you pastors and elders to care for you. Now, the problem is, right, often we want to be our own authority. We just don't really like living under authority. We don't like being told, like, what would be a helpful thing to do. We would like to be able to make those decisions on our own, you know, trusting in man rather than God. And so sometimes, like Paul here, sometimes a pastor will have to fight for his authority, will have to fight for his place of authority in your heart. Don't be surprised if that happens. But I do want to say the church, like, you know, I can speak for our pastors that we don't feel this need. We don't feel this need 
in most of you, like because we know that we appreciate you and you know, we really love how you've respected us and how you follow the teachings of God and how you've stuck to the scriptures and asked us questions. Like, we're really thankful for your willingness to be able to do that and to recognize that we're weak and yet we follow God together. And so we thank you for that. We thank you. We don't feel this need to fight you over this. And yet, I just don't want you to think that you're beyond this temptation. Okay? You're not beyond temptation to disregard the authority that God's given you. And so what's one way that you can begin to do that, that you have to be careful of? What's one way? Um, there's many ways, but just one way is when you begin to give, you, when you begin to give deference to other teachers who don't have authority over you, over the teachers that God has put over you. Okay, so your favorite YouTube teacher, right? Your favorite author, they don't carry that weight of responsibility that your pastors do over you. And again, I say this not just so much to talk about church here, but if, if, you know, if God has you go into another church, I also want you to understand that because it's not about any church. It's about the fact I want you to be able to walk rightly with God. It's all about God at the end of the day. And so if you move on to another church, I want you to insist on this too, okay? It's not about just our church. But your favorite YouTuber, your favorite author don't have the same care and responsibility over you as the pastors that God has given you, okay? So you have to remember, Johnny on YouTube, Sue over at Crossway, don't have authority over you. They may have really good and helpful things to say, right? But they don't know you. They don't know what you're going through. They don't know your struggles. They don't know what your family's thinking through. They don't know what kind of temptations you might be. If they say something, what kind of temptations, what, that, what might draw you to do? All of these things are really important. Context matters. And so they may have really good and helpful things to say, but it may not be what your heart needs because God has not put them over you. God has given you shepherds who love you and who want to walk with you. And so you should, your heart's desire should be to defer to them and say, you know, my pastors love me and care for me. God has given them this responsibility to care for me. I should be willing to listen to them and really give them a place in my hearts because we really do care for you and God cares for you. So for the pastors and the elders here in the room, right, this is a really, really big responsibility and none of us should take this lightly. Authority from God is a big deal. And so we should take this seriously. We should really take this seriously. And we should strive, right, to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That being said, right, it will be impossible for us to be perfect in this task. At the same time, when you recognize the, the height of the calling and the responsibility that is over you for the people, also be strengthened, okay? Be strengthened. Your position of authority has not been given to you by man or by yourself. It was God who gave it to you. It's God who gave it to you. And so he is ready to help and to sustain you. The one who calls you actually wants you to succeed in this task because he wants you to succeed in the church. He wants to see the church do well and grow, okay? He is more invested in the wealth and the well-being of the church than even you are. And so the one who called you is the one who sustains you and the one who stands ready to help you in this task. So take it seriously and trust, trust in God in this. Now, Paul, so we see, right? First thing you see is that Paul's calling comes from God. And you might be thinking, okay, well, that's cool. What about me? Yeah. What about you? It's a great question. What about you? We should see 
that just as Paul had no authority to call himself into the ministry, he couldn't call himself an apostle. Nobody here in this room, nobody in this world, has the authority to make themselves a child of God. We don't have that authority because it comes from God. This is the gospel of God. You don't get to claim and say, oh, today I am a Christian because I declare it to be so. That is not how it works. God has authority to call his people. And so just as Paul needs to remind the Galatian church that his calling to ministry is from God, you need to be reminded, church, this morning that your calling, if you're in Christ, your calling also came from God. This calling did not come from yourself. This not calling did not come from any other man. It came from God. You were called into God's family because God wanted you to be in his family. And so you are here, you're walking in the ways of Christ this morning, not because somebody really cared for you really well or loved you really well. You're not here because you just intellectually just figured it out and you just logically said, oh yeah, this makes more sense than every other worldview out there. No, if you're in Christ, you believe because it was God who called you to believe. So if you are a Christian, okay, if you have trusted in Christ, think back, okay, think back to the moment when God saved you. If you can think back to that moment, think about it. Like, was there anything special about you when God called you to follow him? If you're honest with yourself and you actually see yourself properly, you would say, no, there's absolutely nothing You only brought your sin to him at that moment. You weren't earning God's favor. It wasn't like you were walking on the way to heaven and you just needed God to really give you a little bit of a bump. No, you were walking away from God. You were opposed to God. You were a rebel when God said that he was going to show you grace to help you to start living for him. So think about it. What sins were you living in? Right? What path were you walking towards? It was while you were an enemy of God that he called you to be his. Called you to be his. You were not called by man. You were not called by man, right? You may have heard the gospel through the words of a man, and that's good. God can use that. But if a man had called you apart from God, being the one who calls, it would not have worked. Man cannot call you. That is why you do not take responsibility when you preach the gospel and you proclaim the gospel. It's not about you to change people's hearts. It's God who does that. God may have used men to proclaim the word, but it was he who gave you his spirit and who caused you to believe. Okay, your faith comes from God. It comes from God and not from within yourself. So see this. All of it depends on God, okay? Everything depends on God. You weren't worthy when God called you. You weren't seeking God. God sought you out and gave you his son so that you could believe and be saved. Everything, absolutely everything depends on God. The problem, right, is we just keep on forgetting that every day. We think, okay, yes, that's right. You know, I think back to when I was saved and... uh, I wasn't a great person. God saved me. It was all about him. But now it's up to me. Now it's up to me to really make sure that I really make it worth it for God. It's almost like, I'm trying to think of an illustration on the spot, but it's like if you get hired for a job that you don't really, you know, you're not qualified for. And then you think, well, now it's really up to me to really prove myself and to make sure that God knows he got a really good one. That my boss really, you know, should be happy that, I'm going to work really hard and learn everything that I need to know. All of a sudden, it depends on me. Just as God called you when you were in sin, God is the one who sustains you and who grows you even today. You walk as you were called, all depending on God. If God called you when you couldn't save yourself, okay, now what makes you think that it's up to you to do the rest? 
If you are justified by God's call, okay, it's another way of saying, if you are justified by God's call, why do you think now that your sanctification depends on you and not on God? Just as you're coming to Jesus, is all about God and it's from God, you're growing, it's also from God. And I think sometimes we just get this mixed up, right? Because we see rightly in Scripture we're commanded to do things, we're commanded to do good works. You know, even um, you know, in Philippians, uh, Paul himself, again, calls us to work your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? There's, this is good. We should want to do that. And so, but there's an element in which we start making it about ourselves, like, I have to be the one that works. Now, God called me, now it's up to me. Now it's up to me to prove myself and make myself worthy. But what you fail to see, right, you're called to obey, but what you fail to see is that even the smallest act of obedience, even the smallest, like, humility that you could show, all of it is fueled by God and not by yourself. You couldn't do that on your own. The next verse, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even the willingness to do the things of God has to come from God and not from yourself. And so in your day-to-day, it depended on God for your justification when he called you. It's still everything depends on God. Not that you will stop trying, not that you will stop working, but you're not working on your own strength. It's not about you. And you do not get the credit and the glory. God does. So what were your qualifications when you came to Christ? Absolutely none. What, were your, what will your qualifications be when you get to heaven and say, you know, Jesus asked you, why should I let you in? What will your qualifications be? Absolutely none other than the fact that Jesus died for you in your place and you stand on that. And so do not make it about your own qualifications this morning. Another way to ask this that maybe I hope will be applicable to you all is, you know, we really get in, bent up in shape about, you know, trying to be a fruitful Christians. We should, we should be fruitful Christians, but we just don't have a good way to gauge, you know, how to go about that. So um, let me ask you, if somebody came up to you, somebody, you know, one, your neighbor and said, hey, what, what really makes a fruitful Christian? Like, I understand how one becomes a Christian, but like, what makes somebody fruitful? What makes somebody a really good Christian? What would you say? What would you say? Well, there's a couple wrong answers that I want to give you, right? First thing that does not make a fruitful Christian is your intellect and your ability. Your intellect and your ability do not make you a fruitful Christian. Now, I say that because there's many of you here who are tempted to think that God can't use you because you just simply don't know enough you simply are just not built like, you know, that other person sitting in front of you who is just really, you know, knows a lot of stuff about the Bible. Like, God can't really use me because I just don't have the skills. But when you think like that, what are you doing? You're making the gospel, you're making the Christian life about yourself and not about God. You're saying God is limited by man because I can't be like that person. When they, God cannot be limited by man. It is God who's going to act. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about God. When you're tempted like that, think of the disciples, right? What qualifications did they have when Jesus called them? Nothing. They were fishermen. They were, you know, tax collectors. There was nothing in them that made them worthy of being followers of Jesus Christ. They didn't possess any special intellect. They didn't possess any physical qualities that made them special. None of it. It was the power of God working in them. Even Jesus, right? Even pe- people even question Jesus' qualifications. Isn't that the son of the carpenter? Like, it is not about what man sees. It is about what God can see. 
Okay, so it's not about your intellect, your ability. Your intellect and your ability will not grant you grace with God. Another thing that will not make you a fruitful Christian, and I'll say this and we'll see how shocked all of you are, is your own righteousness. Right? Your own righteousness does not make you a fruitful Christian. Okay, what, 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 what does that mean? Okay, like I know I'm supposed to be righteous. I'm supposed to be growing and sanctified. What are you, what are you talking about? If we are honest, if we're honest, if we're evaluating ourselves and we love to compare ourselves, the fruitful, we think that the fruitful Christians are the ones who sin the least, right? It's like, oh, if I just never sinned, I would be a fruitful Christian. If, you know, if I would only sin as little as the person next to me, I would really be a fruitful Christian, right? We try to argue. We try to think like, well, sanctification means that we're going to love, you know, sin less, you know, as God continues to grow and work in us. And so, you know, as we're more mature and, you know, more fruitful, you know, there'll be less and less sin, you know. And there's truth, you know, in some of that. But I think the problem where you don't really grasp this is that you just are very, very poor at evaluating yourself. You're a really bad judge of your own character, of your own sin struggles, of your own morality with God. You all want to compare yourselves, right? And the problem is that you will either look at the person next to you and you'll do two things. You'll either say, I will never be as godly as that person. That person is just so great. They just never, they have everything together. Woe is me. God, I could never be that person. And you just despair. Or, right, the other option is you'll see them say, man, look at how awful of a Christian they are. I am so good. I have it together. God has gained a really good follower. Right? So you'll either despair and say, I could never do that. Or you'll either go proud and say, Man, thank God that he has me and I can do that. You're a really poor judge of character. You cannot see correctly. Only God sees correctly. And so what are you doing? When you start comparing yourself with others, you've already lost the point, right? You really missed it. When you compare with others, you are making it about man and not about God. You're already making it about what man can do and not what God can do. You're depending on yourself and others. The standard is not the person next to you. The standard is Jesus Christ. And he has to be the one who works in your heart. You, his standing is your standing. And so, remember, if the Christian life and your fruit depended solely on your ability to never sin, none of us would ever be helpful in the kingdom of God. None of us would ever be able to bear any fruit. We would be completely doomed. Our church would not be here. But the wonderful thing is because it depends on God, it depends on God, and his marvelous grace in our hearts, that way we can please our maker. It's not about what we can do. It's not even about our own righteousness. Our own righteousness does not make us right with God because our own righteousness does not exist. It's Christ's righteousness, right? Thirdly, thing that does not bring you to God, does not make you a fruitful Christian, is your age or your maturity, right? Your age and maturity. So, uh, you know, we have young ones here. You have kids, you're, you know, just maybe you're here and you just finished, you got out of K to third and now you have to sit in, a cl in, in service or you're in the youth group. You're, you know, early in college and you think, well, um, you may be tempted to think that you can't serve God because you're too young. That is a temptation. I remember that temptation when I was young. You may say, well, I'm too young. I, I don't know enough. It's when, when I get to a certain age, when I'm like that man over there, that woman over there, then I will begin living for God. I will begin serving God. But again, you're basing it on man's standards. It's not about man and what man can do. 
but about God. And God can work in anyone, regardless of age. Okay, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can begin living for God today. And so remember that. Don't wait until a certain time when you can begin living for God. Young ones, live for God today. God can be at work in you. And also your maturity, too. Maybe you're not young. Maybe you're not like, well, you know, I'm older. <laughs> I should know these things. But um, I don't. I need to wait to be faithful and fruitful to God until I reach a certain point of maturity. When I'm this mature, then I can really serve God. But again, that's also seeing it as man sees and not as God sees. You can serve God today. God can use you, even today, just as he used Paul when he was on his way to persecute Christians. So what makes you a fruitful Christian? Not your obedience, not your accomplishments, but the fact that the God of the universe has called you to this task. And so what has he called you to? What has he told you to? Let's go back to our verse here. I just, all of that was just verse 1, so you're welcome. Um, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's actually stop at verse 3. Okay? We'll see that the gospel is from God. We'll see really quick. Grace and peace. What do we see here? Are from God. Grace and peace are from God. And we should not go over that too quickly. All of us, the world, desperately wants grace and peace. That is the thing that we need most. When we know that we're wicked sinners, when we know that we cannot do this on our own, that we have guilt, we cannot bear, we cannot make ourselves right, we know that God is angry at us in our sin. And all we want is for somebody to show us grace in this evil age and for somebody to just say, you can have peace with God even for a moment. That's what the world wants. And so we just fill ourselves with entertainment because we just don't want to think about these things. But that is the most important thing. And we know that grace and peace are from God, not from man. And how is grace and peace available to you? It is available through Jesus, who verse 4 says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our, and our, to, according to the will of, God, of our God and Father. This is the heart of the gospel, church. This is it. Is that God saw your guilty state. He saw how you could not save yourself, how you weren't capable to bring yourself rightly before God. And so even before, even before you knew that you needed a Savior, even before you knew how to ask for help and deliverance, he sent Jesus to die for you. Right? Think about in Genesis, you know, chapter 3, even before Adam and Eve really acknowledged their sin before God, even before they knew how to ask for forgiveness, God had already started our plan to send Jesus to save us from our sins. So even before we knew that we needed a Savior, Jesus knew that and saw and acted. And he sent Jesus to this earth to live the life that we were supposed to live, the obedient and perfect righteous life that we were called to live, that we couldn't live. And so he gave himself. He took our place on that cross. We deserve to die. And instead, we took his place as ones before God. The, un, the righteous becoming unrighteous for us and us as the unrighteous being counted righteous because Jesus is righteous. And so what did this accomplish? It does, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. It accomplishes your deliverance. It delivers us from this evil age that is all about wanting to take you down. The enemy really, really, really wants to take you down, wants to tempt you, wants to draw you away from Christ, just as the people in Galatia are being prone to do or tempted to do. But you are delivered from this evil age to live and work and serve God. And all of it, as we see, is according to the will of our God and, of our God and Father. 
Okay, all of it happened according to God's plan. This was from God. This was a plan from God, and it was all accomplished through God, not through anything that we can bring ourselves. And for what? For what? Verse 5. So it's from God and it's to God. So two things. The gospel is from God and to God. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is for God's glory and not for man's glory. Because if you make the Christian life about yourself, you are going to rob God of the glory that he deserves. And so, church, don't make it about yourself. Don't make it about what you can do or what you can bring to God, but trust God that he's the one who will give you what you need when you need it. When you sin and you, you know, think you're the worst person ever and you wallow and you despair, instead of running to God, you're making it about yourself. Okay, when you're always afraid that you're never holy enough, you haven't repented enough, you're always thinking, being so introspective upon yourself, be careful, because that is making it too much about you and not about what God has done. Take ten looks to Christ, right? I think that's what Spurgeon said. For one, look to yourself. As soon as we begin looking to ourselves, we will despair, because we can never, ever bring it to God. And then when God helps you, when God saves you and brings you out of that pit of despair... Guess what? The glory will belong to God and not to yourself because you could not bring yourself out of that pit. Don't say to God, my sins are too big, God. I'm, my sins are too powerful for you. Right? That's, that would be silly to say, but that's what we, how we act sometimes, to say, your grace is not enough. My sins, I am too powerful. I'm too special for you to save me. You're not. Okay? God is the one who's got all the power and glory and authority. So live for God, church. Live for God, because the gospel is from him. All of it comes from him. The authority comes from him. We can live because he has called us to live this way so that we can be living for him. He died so that we could be living for him, so that we would be raised with him. And so don't use the gospel for your own means. Okay, that is one temptation and one warning I want to give you. Don't use the gospel for your own means. Don't use the gospel only to make friends. It would be a shame, right? It would be a shame if... You just came to church just because of the fellowship it provides. That would be too low of a goal. Don't use the gospel also for your own means. Don't use the gospel to justify sinning. That would be shameful. Don't, don't act as in, well, you know, if it's God's grace big enough, then now I can go ahead and sin. No, no, that's not how it works. That would be shameful treatment of what Jesus did on the cross. Live. Live not just as a Christian when other people are watching you. What do you do when no one's, nobody's around, when no one's watching you? Is your life that different when you're in church and when you're somewhere else with your friends? Because it ought not to be that way. If you're living for God, it doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter what they say. You will seek to live and please your master and not those who you're with, not yourself and your own pleasures. And so, church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is what Paul is insisting on, that it is from God and for God, and so it depends solely on God and not what we can bring to him. It all depends on God. And so I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with this. This is really helpful for us in our weaknesses. This is really helpful in trials. And so I want to make it really practical for us this morning. You know, we just heard an update from Joel about uh, Josh and the NIPS health. And a question that you might have, and we've been thinking about is, well, what makes your elders confident and hopeful that God will be gracious to our church in this really big season of trial. Okay? When you look at Josh's sickness, what makes us confident that God will continue to be gracious and sustain us? 
Why do we have that confidence and hope? Oh, it's because our confidence is not, is not in any one of us. Our confidence does not rest in any of the elders. Our confidence is not in Josh. Our confidence has never been in the people of the church. It's always been in the God that we serve. Because he is the one who called us. He is the one who will sustain us. And we trust in him until the very end. And so church, the fact that the gospel is from God and for God means that we can have hope even in the darkest of conditions, even in the darkest of the churches, even when the hardest thing happens to you because we know that God's calling is sure and he will work and we can trust that. And so my call to you is to not look to yourselves, not to any man to deliver you, to save you, to bring you before God, but that we would look to Christ together as a church. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. Jesus, we look to you. Your word says that you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Lord. For it is by you that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through you and for you. Jesus, you are before all things, and it is in you that all things hold together. Jesus, you are the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything you might be preeminent. For it is in you that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and it is through you that you reconcile to yourself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, Lord. And so we know that it is from you and through you and to you that are all things. And so we give you the glory as a church. Help us to trust in this and help us to live as if it's true. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.